When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Hey, 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 this is NFL Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. I'm excited to announce my new podcast, Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis Podcast. I'll be talking with friends, family members, old teammates, athletes, celebrities, moguls, and guess what? I'll be talking to you. Listen, this is all in the search for everyday greatness. So I'm asking you to come along with me on this ride. Download new episodes of Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on PodcastOne.com. It's not what you have. It's what's inside of you that actually inspires greatness. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel, we're your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. The bubble games, the real games are finally here, and I'm so happy to have Rob Mahoney on to talk about it. We had a really fun conversation about our takeaways from the first week plus in terms of teams, in terms of situations, and then we also had a, a fascinating conversation about player agency, the challenges of general managing, and, and the off-seasons to come, especially 2021. So great conversation brought to you by Bet Online. You can use the Podcast One promo code to get a sign-up bonus when you sign up. Conversation runs well over an hour, and a lot of great stuff in here I really recommend listening to. We go through a lot of different teams, a lot of different stories that we've been paying attention to during the bubble. Hope you enjoy. Thanks so much for coming on. Of course, anytime. It feels like there is an insurmountable amount of ground to cover just because there's so much going on now watching games a hilarious amount of time, as much as we can, basically. But that kind of leads to the idea, well, we're not going to get to everything. So I kind of wanted to open the floor to you to start with just what has struck you in the first week plus of seeding games? Well, I thought, you know, since you're just coming off of doing the Jazz Spurs broadcast, we could do like a good tight 45 minutes on Mie Oni just right off the top. Just get get right into brass tacks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was to let people in on a little bit of the background there. Um, we Nate and I found out a little bit before the game that all basically all the Jazz best players weren't going to play. And that led to this question of like, oh, they're one of the only teams where their young players don't actually get NBA minutes, so we hadn't like really seen them at all. So it was frantic research, let's put it that way. And then my internet went out, so that was even more frantic. But it was, you know, it, it's it's been a really fun experience, and I think that ties in with one of my bigger takeaways of this, which is getting to see kind of di- a different ecosystem, not only for the overall players, but also just different compositions of rosters and different opportunities for various players, like the Spurs. Yeah, Spurs are a great example of that. The Pacers, another team that's dealt with injuries and guys in and out of the lineup. And then also, you know, not not just the Jazz, but other teams that are throwing some of their young guys in the mix. We're seeing players who don't usually shoot a lot of threes all of a sudden experiment with some of that. You know, some different skill compositions, some different lineup compositions. It's been a really fun and exciting time for basketball, not only because we're getting it back after this long layoff, but just in terms of the stuff that teams are rolling out, which 
I don't know about you, but I kind of expected teams to to slow play this, to not put forward some of their best stuff, you know, hiding and preserving some of their best strategies for the playoffs. And I think there's some of that. And we're certainly, you know, the Jazz game, uh, you know, as a, as a case in point, we're getting into kind of the rest stage of, of these seeding games maybe. So this is a great time to kind of step back and take a look at everything. But overall, I think the, the level of competition has been so high in part because everyone seems really invested, at least up front, in in really making these games competitive and seeing where they are. Agreed. I, I think that I've been most encouraged by the effort level and quality of play. And as you said, I think we will get a little bit of a tone down in week two, just because there were some things that were unsettled, or at least not fully settled, which are now settled. And and that leads to this circumstance like where, I mean, the Bucks are a great example of this. They have nothing to play for. I am never going to begrudge them for prioritizing the health of their players however they their medical staff sees fit over competitive balance for the remaining games if they they want to sit all their guys against toronto so be it if they want to do it against dallas that's totally fine and and there are always situations where people media members fans alike get frustrated by that but let's use the bucks they have no obligation to anybody but themselves and if team x misses the playoffs quote-unquote because of that well they could have won any of their other games too and that's just that's just the way it works out sometimes and i've been yeah i mean the opportunities presented to some of these teams i I think that's where you get i mean the pacers tj warren just getting to kind of fill a different spot in the offense the pacers going from being an overstuffed front court rotation to being able to play warren at the four pretty regularly has fundamentally made them a different team now they're there are times that it might make them less less competitive against certain opponents, but it has also given some of their guys more opportunity to shine. Yeah, and especially with an offense like that where, you know, Domas Sabonis was just such a hub for them. You know, regardless of whether he was taking shots or not, just the touches, the oxygen in that offense, which I think was healthy for them in a lot of ways. And, you know, as, as you're alluding to, against some opponents, maybe even more necessary to have that extra layer of complexity but I mean, I certainly didn't think Warren was capable of this, of expanding his game in this way, of you know shooting the three ball the way he has. I mean, it's just been incendiary stuff. And the kind of thing that a team like Indiana, I mean, Indiana and, and the Spurs, I think of as parallels in this way, teams that really needed that kind of pop under these circumstances. You know, just a little, a little something more until Oladipo can really get his legs under him. And in the Spurs case, you know, to see guys like Derek White really succeed, to, guys, to see DeJounte Murray playing alongside him and also thriving in some of these games, not, you know, not to mention the other young guys on their roster. It's it's really encouraging to see developments like that in real time in meaningful games while these teams are really competing, you know, t- to get either into the playoffs or to get into their their chosen seed. Right. And something that has been welcome to me during this time is that in a normal season, I end up kind of, you know, you, you can think about the ebb and the flow for for M- national analysts like us. So you only have you only have so many hours a day, you only have so many games you can watch. And a lot of times for me, at the end of the season, I'm fading out on the younger teams or the teams that just don't have anything going for it and focusing more on the top teams because they're getting ready for the playoffs. And what I've enjoyed in this is that for the first week, the more in- the more interesting part of it to me has not been the tops of the conferences with a couple exceptions that we'll discuss. You know, the, the Clippers are still getting a lot of their the guys back. The Lakers haven't been quite right. I'm not super freaked out about that. The Bucks basically clinched everything on like the first night. So a non-representative sample for them. And so that has seeded some of the spotlight. And some of this is also doing all these league pass games. Two teams like the Rockets, two, I shouldn't have said them for the league pass stuff, but the, the Rockets and the Pacers and the Suns, who have been incredibly fun. And 
the bottom of the West has been intriguing in a, positives and negative ways, and 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 I've liked that, you know. So give those teams a chance, and then a couple weeks from now, most if not all of those teams will be gone, and then we can talk about the Lakers and the Clippers and the Bucks and agonize over whether LeBron's groin is 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 really there. But I think that having a little bit of time to focus on these, you know, the Spurs are a great example of this. Yeah, they're probably they're probably not going to be playing for very much longer, but this time has given their front office, has given coaching staff, has given their fan base a lot to think about that if the bubble never happened, they wouldn't have gotten this this background, this knowledge, this experience. It's true. And, and to a credit to some of those teams you mentioned, I mean, I think the Suns are kind of case in point of this, a team that I certainly would have been in that camp where this late in the season under normal circumstances, you're starting to wind down on them. You know, one of their guys is already out of the lineup in Kelly Oubre. You know, maybe you want to see a little more of DeAndre Ayton if you missed him earlier in the season with the sp- suspension and stuff like that. But they're a team that has really kind of wrestled our attention away from the Rockets and the Thunders and the, the Raptors, these teams that have just come off and, and played really well in the bubble just by pure force of will. You know, a team that that really I was not expecting to care about this much at this stage in the season, that I, I just kind of anticipated they would come in, they would continue to play ho-hum Phoenix Suns basketball. You know, Booker would have some incredible performances. You would see the same kind of reassuring signs from Aiton and Bridges along the way. But what they've been able to do, at least in these first four games, I, I think it's pretty remarkable considering we're, we're dropping out the bottom eight teams in the league. We're taking out all of the kind of, the kind of riffraff in terms of competition. And we're putting the best teams on the stage against each other. And the Suns might be like the most watchable team of all. Not only that, the Suns have done it against legitimate competition. Dallas, the Clippers, and the Pacers all wanted to win those games. This It was not a circumstance of judicial rest or some of the like summer league week two that we're going to see in the next week of the bubble. And we're already seeing a little bit of it now. The, I mean, especially at the end of that Clippers game, Kawhi and Paul George were going at it hard. And like that... that ending shot by Devin Booker, but a lot of those other possessions were extremely encouraging. This isn't just, you know, all-star game, garbage time, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and for Phoenix, it's it's so great to see this because, like, I mean, I've been exceedingly critical of a lot of what they've done for good reason. I mean, I, I you know, my policy on this, is, Tim Kawakami has, has phrased this well, too, which is, like, praise when warranted, criticism when warranted. And so, like, sometimes if an organization is worthy of criticism for a decade, it sounds like we never praise them. But the Suns have some have some pieces to get together. I really like Mikhail Bridges. I think that not everybody needs to be this ball-dominant, high-usage player to fit in, and the defense he played on TJ Warren was phenomenal. And I thought that they did a really nice job competing against the Clippers group, and they get another perimeter team that could be a pain to go after. Aiton has taken some real strides forward both before the hiatus and now, and then Devin Booker is a bona fide all-star, and we'll see where it goes from there. And so for Phoenix, they have a lot to look forward to, and it also makes for some interesting challenges for James Jones because how do you carry this? So does it, you, they've, they're already f- guaranteed to go 500 in the bubble, maybe potentially better than that. Does that necessarily mean they're a 45-win team next year? No, not necessarily. And remember, they have this unusual circumstance where they could use cap space, they could go aggressively, or maybe they slow play this a little bit, see what they can do, see if they can find some value on the market, but don't go crazy. I mean, I hope that that's the way they would go, just because you want franchises to show that level of discipline. I think it's it's very challenging, especially for teams that are like the Suns are now, like the Pistons have been at different stages where you're looking at year after year of being in the lottery 
and especially on a smaller market where you want to show some returns and now coming out of a pandemic where you're also losing revenue from these you know the, the typical revenue streams of the NBA it's a very hard time for teams to show patience and and even as we're seeing in some of the reports about teams like the Bulls for example and their situation with Jim Boylan to pursue the avenues that they might want to pursue under normal circumstances so i mean the suns in the bubble you know within the confines of this cushy NBA environment they've been able to create have been or the NBA has been able to create have been super competitive. You know, you give all credit to the players there for taking this as seriously as they have for for playing at that level against this kind of competition. To Monty Williams for for keeping his guys together, for channeling their energies in this very constructive way. But when everybody goes home and we're talking about what they're going to do going forward and next season, that's when a lot of these questions start getting real. And that's why you know this period of time in which the Suns can kind of play playoff basketball regardless of whether they actually get to the playoffs or not. I think you know even with as as well as they've played, it's just kind of a long shot by the numbers at this stage but they get these games that matter and they get those evaluative points that you discuss with you know as teams like the spurs did they get a lot of data right now and for a team that you know devin booker to this point really hadn't played a meaningful minute in his nba career and now we're seeing what he's made of against a triple team in which two of the defenders are paul george and Kawhi leonard i mean that that means a lot and I'm sure it's fulfilling for Booker to finally get that opportunity. I mean, and, and it very well could have not happened in the bubble. It was always a distant dream for the Suns to 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 get into the playoffs. But to get the these bubble games aren't quite the same thing, but they're as close as the Suns were going to get. And what I've been focusing on, I don't know if I'm going to do a series on this. I also don't know if I have the time. But for a lot of it, it a lot of these teams, it's about it's not you're not seeing the future, but you're seeing like you know like a fuzzy framework of it of of what things could look like. And for Phoenix, Mikhail Bridges being a part of potentially their starting lineup, maybe their rotation, helping give them a defensive identity. The growth that Aiton has had on defense and on offense, I still want him to get more assertive, but he's he's definitely doing better there. Booker, obviously, and. So there, there are things that you can look at and say, it's not all here, especially with Kelly Oubre, Kelly Oubre being unavailable, but there's a lot more there than maybe some anticipated. And for the Spurs, it's kind of the same thing. I don't think this changes where they are within the like kind of, I use the phrase, the timetable of contention sometimes, which is basically like, okay, where is this team relative to their peak? Where is their peak relative to other teams? And so San Antonio... Other than Derek White's confident jump shooting and that potentially making him a a different kind of player and a different kind of fit, I don't know that this has dramatically changed the way that I feel about how how the Spurs should approach the next couple of years. But it is important because you think about what you want to pair around those guys, what you're going to prioritize in free agency, and all of those, I wouldn't call them marginal moves because it's more it's more significant than that. But it, it, it isn't, so, so it's just more to know. It's not definitive. It's not saying we're going to be Team X next year, but it's still very valuable. Well, I think the one thing that has shifted my opinion of the Spurs a little bit is Derek White's three-point shooting, especially if you're, if you're considering DeJounte Murray and Derek White as a long-term pairing, which is something that the Spurs had been reluctant to actually put on the floor until the bubble. You know, we're, we're reluctant to be fair, and there have been injury complications and some rotation issues that have clouded that picture. But now that we're seeing them together a lot, and we're seeing this version of Derek White, which to this point has been shooting about as many threes per game as pretty much any active player, like that changes things. If that guy is hitting shots at this rate and the effect that that's had on San Antonio's offense as a whole and their spacing, like that's a meaningful development. I like how you put it where, you know, we're not necessarily seeing the future. But I've almost evaluated this as being kind of like, you know, if you've been in in the game of producing NBA content, there's these these months every offseason, every summer 
where you're just kind of throwing things at the wall. Like, wouldn't it be cool if this team tried this? Wouldn't it be cool if this team went in that direction? We're almost seeing a lot of that stuff in real time with some of the skill development work, especially among these teams. You know, the contenders kind of are who they are. The teams that are vying for the eighth seed, the teams that are, you know, maybe toying around within the middle seats, they're, they're trying different things. They're experimenting a little bit more. And we're seeing guys like Derek White emerge in at least pretty interesting ways. It also is getting closer to answering a question that was so central for me and part of why I was enthused about the bubble, really, if it, even if it had been less competitive than has been the case so far, which is, will this time off, the hiatus that we had due to COVID-19, will that kind of be like an offseason where some players really put in work on their games and look different as basketball players than they did before? And it's not universal. I think some players are and also recovering from injuries and all, all the other things. And I mean, there are a lot of players who had other constraints, including like Mo Bamba having COVID-19, which was revealed this week, like that, that they couldn't get that opportunity. But there are players like Derek White that really have grown and that have, have looked more confident. I thought that Lonnie Walker has looked better. I don't think he's a world beater yet, but you start to see the little signs of, okay, this is how it can fit together. And TJ Warren has been great. He's older, but there's still a lot of room there. And another team that they kind of straddle this because of such an unusual injury situation is the Denver Nuggets. Like the Denver Nuggets do not look right now like the Denver Nuggets hope to or expect to look in a couple weeks. I mean, I'm hoping they get their guys back. I want to see this team at full strength or as close to as we can get. But having Jamal Murray out, having Gary Harris and Will Barton unavailable has also given Michael Porter Jr. in particular, Monte Morris, I think we kind of knew what he was. It's given Michael Porter Jr. greater license to be to be dominant offensively, and that has been incredibly exciting. Yeah, and, and the difference in being dominant in these games versus giving him the keys in summer league or giving him the keys in the preseason. I mean, that is such a monumental difference. And and again, that's, that's purely a product of circumstance. That's just because in a lot of ways, these guards could not be available for these games, or if they were available, they couldn't play their full loads because they're working them back into, into the rotation and into shape. And Nikola Jokic can't do it all. And so you need somebody and he's the natural candidate as the guy who's, who's most capable of just creating and generating offense of giving you a little extra oomph, not to mention, you know, for an offense that runs through Jokic, you know, a gigantic passing target who can just kind of duck in for dunks and layups when teams try to guard him with, you know, six six shooting guards. And Porter Jr. creates some legit challenges that, you know, we've talked a lot about Zion and, and, and justifiably so about how hard he is to defend and who are you going to put on him. Michael Porter Jr. is a very different player, but presents similar problems because you, if you want to put somebody bigger on him, I think Porter Jr. can be faster, but he also does a nice job shooting over smaller players and so you think about where where things go and a lot of times you know the team building part of me comes out and I think about pairings and if Porter Jr. and I believe this to be the case if he is a starter of the future in Denver and Jokic obviously is then what makes sense next to those two guys and it is a daunting thing because ideally you would want somebody who can be a capable rim protector because, you know, for when Jokic is pulled out on the floor to be a helper, you know, that kind of thing. Ideally, they would also space it because they could do that. But also, ideally, you would want somebody who is a capable perimeter defender because if he's not, then who is going to be guarding those great players? And so I think that Tim Connolly and their front office, they have a much better problem than they had before because if Michael Porter Jr. wasn't this guy, Denver would have settled in as a strong regular season team that would have required a lot more improvement to become really viable as a championship contender. And Porter 
he shakes it up a little bit in a way that is good for them because that opportunity being be, having a small chance of being something great is better than having a smaller chance of being something great. And but at the same point, Connolly, without a ton of financial flexibility and with two power forwards that are both hitting unrestricted free agency at the same time, he has a lot to figure out. He does, and, and you know, for playoff teams that are in Denver's position, so often you need these almost kinds of acts of God in a way to to let a guy really break through. You know, there's a certain level of inertia that comes with being a team who's won as many games as they have, who they already have their established superstar. They're trying to, you know, get Gary, Gary Harris, you know, back into lineup and healthy eventually, try to get his shot back on track after he's, you know, been so iffy in that regard this season. They're still trying to, you know, spur Jamal Murray along. You know, they're trying to make sure Will Barton gets enough touches. There's a lot of irons in the fire for them. The idea of this, you know, and, and Michael Malone really not playing Michael Porter Jr. significant or consistent minutes or a consistent role for through large stretches of the season, it just was not a priority for them at this stage. But you force their hand a little bit, and all of a sudden he's putting up insane stat lines. As you said, he's a problem for, for defenses in terms of just his size, what he's able to create, who you have to guard him with. He's also, you know, a different kind of problem in terms of his social media presence and his opinions on Pizzagate, but we don't really have to talk about that. Oh, Lord. It's, you know, this is where you want to be for a team in Denver's position, where there's a little bit of, of house money involved. You know, you already know how good you can be with the core you had, and now all of a sudden you have this really dynamic piece that not only is new to you, but is new to everybody. You know, there's there's kind of an ace an ace in the hole, an ace up their sleeve that they can they can throw out there. Teams don't really know how to scout or how to counter this player who they really haven't encountered much in the regular season. Right, and also it gives them an opportunity to try Porter Jr. in a couple of different settings. So right now, he can be a higher usage player, can have the ball in his hands a lot because they need it desperately, and then hopefully Denver will have the opportunity to phase back some of these other players in, and then we get to see where Michael Porter fits in the pecking order. And also it gives the front office a little bit more information about maybe Michael Porter Jr. is good enough that you use him as a part of the plan. And so Nate and I did this series over the uh, hiatus that I called the Battle Plan series. And the the core of it for me was this idea of, I shouldn't have used that that word because that's what I'm using now, cores, and and the the inflection points for a franchise. So you teams define it very differently, but oftentimes you can see how this colors their decisions. So in Minnesota, let's say, the team that's in the Delete 8 and thus not in the bubble, if they see that franchise moving forward as a Carl Anthony Towns team, that means something different from personnel, from the mid-level exception, trades, and everything else, than if it is a Towns and D'Angelo Russell team. And so what Michael Porter Jr. can do during August, and potentially maybe during September if they make it far enough, is become a part of the equation, become a bigger part of it. And then it's like, okay, if we're getting this from Michael Porter Jr., maybe we think about the guard rotation differently. Maybe we try to do something different at small forward. Like Will Barton is an interesting player, but I also don't think he is so good to be indispensable in the starting five. He could then slide into a role that he is very familiar with as long as he's under contract, or maybe you trade him. He could do any number of things. And if this had never happened, if we had just, like, you know, if we had just gone straight to season, or honestly, if COVID had never happened and like Porter was really blossoming, but I think this is giving him a different opportunity than he would have had, let's say, if if the season had just gone through normally. Yeah, I love that framing, just in terms of thinking about what the team is going to be, the pieces that they're going to move around those two guys, whether on and off the roster or in and out of lineups. That's that's a really constructive way to kind of keep things moving forward, to keep things, keep a propulsive momentum for a franchise that needed that kind of push. 
And I think with Porter in particular, in terms of thinking about him as a potential kind of core piece or building block or however you want to frame it, maybe deserves even more benefit of the doubt just in terms of the type of player he is. I know there's a lot of injury concern long term with him. Um, but, you know, with guys who are his size who could potentially live on the wing, you know, you, you could go back and forth on what position you want to play him. But if he's a small forward and he's that size, I mean, that is very close to an unguardable player, you know, just in terms of skill set, in terms of the challenges he presents, uh, you know, as a matchup. That's a, that, you know, that's what you're getting into with with Kawhi and with LeBron and these other supers, these Kevin Durant types, these superstars in the league for whom there is so little counter. And, you know, the odds of Michael Porter Jr. hitting that level, you know, the, the top three player in the league level is still relatively small. I mean, that's that's a really hard uh, hurdle for any player, even even, you know, really elite prospects. But just the idea that he could potentially somehow, even by, you know, a, a small percentage of the time, if we play out all, you know, all the probabilities of how this could go from here, end up in the, like elite company as a gigantic small forward. That's the kind of exciting prospect that can really revolutionize a team. Absolutely. And Denver faces a, a kind of a different opportunity. They don't have a ton of cap flexibility, but they also do have good players that are under contract. And so maybe they can retool this around the Porter-Jokic combination if that's what they want to do. And if they if they want to just play out the string for another season or so, they absolutely can. I mean, they're a very good, they're a very good team and their best players are young enough where there is some experimentation time and and something you were talking about in terms of kind of like having Porter find himself like there there was this interesting parallel a team that I was interested in going into the bubble was the Brooklyn Nets because the Nets have this even more unusual circumstance of some talented players and I'll exclude Joe Harris from this because Harris you know he kind of is Joe Harris in Karis LeVert and Jared Allen who are you could make an easy argument. They're showcasing themselves, but I don't think they're showcasing themselves for Nets management or for Jacques Vaughn or for the coach of the future, if that's not Jacques Vaughn. They're arguably showcasing themselves for other teams because Karis LeVert has his money, but I don't think of him as a particularly great fit alongside KD and Kyrie, though maybe he's auditioning for that too. And then Jared Allen, he got supplanted by DeAndre Jordan, you know, basically basically right as the season was going on a hiatus, but it looks like that's where the future is for a couple different reasons. And so I, the way I've been thinking about it for those two guys is they're using the bubble to audition, but not in the way of those jazz guys we talked about at the outset of this podcast, in the way of, hey, we're established players, trade for us so that you can we can make your team better and we don't have to be stuck here behind players who don't make sense with us. And auditioning in a way, I think, that really kind of benefits everybody everybody involved you know the nets may have to move in a direction away from those guys those players as you mentioned especially once everybody comes back you know hopefully healthy next season may not have the opportunities that they want whether it's the touches whether it's the starting job whatever it may be it's just it's such a anytime you're building you know you have your stars in place and you're trying to fit everything else around it those fits can be pretty precarious and the guys may not always get their ideal situation and they might, might already start looking elsewhere already start looking at other opportunities whether they're free agents or not and so I think that's that's a, a nice little side effect for a Nets team that otherwise is is pretty devastated in terms of its actual competitive quality. But this is what you get out of this circumstance if you're the Nets. And I think you know, every team is here for some some reason that's a little different from the next. You know, teams like the Lakers and the Clippers and the Bucks are obviously, you know, they're trying to maintain a certain level while competing for the title. While as you know, as we alluded to earlier, aren't trying to show too much too soon. And then you have teams like the Rockets who are you know, trying to prove to themselves in a lot of ways that they can compete with these teams, that they can have that kind of every possession mentality that you need to win multiple, multiple playoff series. You have the Nets 
who are, are showcasing guys for a variety of reasons, you know, as, as you noted, many of which don't actually involve their own direct future on the roster. And then the Nuggets are at that, that intersection of this where they may be the only team for which they've had this breakthrough player in, in Michael Porter Jr., who not only changes, as we've been talking about, the future of the franchise potentially, but what they could be in these playoffs for a team that, I don't know about you, but I find the Nuggets to be just completely unpredictable and, and it may be very matchup dependent in terms of how they're actually going to do this postseason. I completely agree with you that they're unpredictable, matchup dependent, and I think that's a part of why we might see some movement around them, partially also because the Rockets are just scarier. Like, not that the Rockets, Mm -hmm. you could talk about the expected value of those two teams not being that far apart because Houston can be so variable with their, you know, specific strengths and weaknesses. I think there are some teams that could do well. And so maybe we get to the point, I alluded to this on Twitter, about like that if teams are trying to duck the Rockets, but then they can try to try to make it happen, you know, they jump to the three or something like that. But Denver is presenting a different sort of a challenge. Plenty more to discuss with Rob Mahoney, but first a message from Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on with our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Sports are slowly, thankfully, making their way back. Major League Baseball and the NBA have joined UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer. Bet Online has all the best odds and lines for the upcoming games and matches, and you can use the Podcast One promo code for your sign up bonus. Of course, that also tells them that you came from us, so there are benefits for both sides of this equation. And if you need more, Bet Online has simulated and NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. And if you are looking for something other than sports, BetOnline also has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. So whatever you are looking for, visit BetOnline or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus using that Podcast One promo code and start playing today at BetOnline, your online wagering experts. I wanted to go in a, a kind of a different direction. This is something that I've been thinking about, partially inspired by uh, watching Derek White and the Spurs play today. The 2017 draft class was contentious at the time, has had some very weird ebbs and flows over the course of time. I mean, you have players like Justin Patton that are that are already, you know, they're, they're not on those contracts anymore. Everything's been bouncing around. Harry Giles had an option decline. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. But... That group is in a very specific place this year within the bubble, which is those players are going to be extension eligible, not, you know, a couple months from now or anything. Uh, They're going to be extension eligible basically when the bubble ends. It's going to be very quick. And remember that the rules, we don't know exactly when next season is going to start, but the rules for rookie scale extensions for those first round picks in 2017 are you can only do it before the season starts. And so I think that they are having a really important window to show what they can do. And so that starts for me with Derek White. Derek White, the number 29 overall pick. There's an argument that if San Antonio wants to maintain flexibility, that they shouldn't commit to anything right now. But he certainly changed their thought process over the last week. Well, another guy who fits that category for me is OG Ananobi. Yes. Who, oh my God, like has just been a revelation in the bubble. You know, a guy who... Over the course of the year, I've really gotten higher and higher on in terms of his perimeter defense, just is completely smothering in that way. But now all of a sudden is guarding centers. You know, I guess it's not all of a sudden. The Raptors have tried all kinds of stuff throughout the year. And with him in, you know, in particular, him and Pascal Siakam are, are so interchangeable in a lot of ways. And when, you know, when now you can just throw Marcus All on somebody, throw Kyle Lowry on somebody, like the Raptors' capacity to just fuck things up is incredible. 
um, you know, I mean, for their opponents. Uh, but Ananobi in particular, just what he's been able to do offensively, I've never seen this side of him before. You know, just a guy who's making decisions in such a crisp way, who's being aggressive, who's, you know, there, there's this, ev- this step in the evolution of a wing player where, you know, the guy's first few years in the league, they take these meandering routes to the basket. They just either can't get through guys, their handle isn't tight enough, whatever it is. And then at a certain point, it's just like it clicks into going to straight lines and not straight lines in a very simplistic kind of blunt force way, but just in a way where they feel confident going up and through contact and they feel confident that this is my lane to drive. You know, there's no second guessing once they start their initial move. And Ananobi's really getting to that place where he can make these strong, confident moves in half court offense that that's kind of what the Raptors need. You know, I think in transition, they're a wonderful team. Their defense may be the best in the league, but they need a little bit more sophistication in terms of what they run half court, not because the system is bad or anything or the concepts are bad, but just because they're they're such a ball movement oriented team versus a one on one creation team that when the ball does swing to the right guy, that guy has to be able to make the right move in exactly the limited window he's presented. And Ananobi is doing that very thing right now. It is extremely exciting, and as you brought up, you know, especially with Kawhi Leonard out off the team this year, is that the, the Raptors don't really have a half court offensive identity to me. And there have been games when Fred Van Vliet has been awesome. There have been games when Lowry can do it and Siakam. Like they have a lot of rules of the dice. They just don't have a lot of rules of the dice that cash every time. And Ananobi being a part of that solution is something I did not expect, genuinely. And I, I know that you that wings need time, and it's it's not necessarily – and he's an adept basketball player. I was a firm believer that both OG and Jared Allen, two of the guys in that range that I had actually watched film on, I, I thought that they should both go much, much higher. And I think both the teams above them would have been better off when you think about some of the players that got drafted there. And you're right. Ananobi, though, he and um, Bam Adebayo, who's in this class, Donovan Mitchell might be in this group too, we're going to see potentially a revival of the delayed ex- the delayed ex- or passed up extension and delayed contract situation because of the old throwback, which was, if you want to go back, especially to the summer of 2016, the way the NBA calculates with the CBA what are called cap holds, which is basically a cap hold is designed to be an estimate for how much a free agent is going to get paid. And a lot of times they do pretty well. And some, and when they do the worst, it's when it's non-representative. And if it's non-representative on the high side, then oftentimes that the rights just get renounced because if it's like a max level play, oh, a guy who's getting the max and all that. But for rookie scale contracts, it's built on draft position. And so Kawhi Leonard is probably the most prominent example of this. It also happened with Andre Drummond, where those players had low cap holds because they were a little, they outperformed their draft position. And those teams happen to have cap space in the year that those players were going to be restricted for agents. So what those teams did was they said, hey, we don't know how formalized this was. You can get into all this sort of stuff. We'll take care of you. We have match rights anyway. It's not like those players could go anywhere unilaterally. But the team was better off not agreeing to a contract. And so Donovan Mitchell, it could potentially be the case because the Jazz might be super flexible that year. OG and Anobi, we don't know where the Raptors want to go. I mean, that that is really the elephant in the room here in terms of destinations. But also, bam, I mean, Miami is, we, we know what they want to do because Pat Riley has been hilariously open about this, that they're going to be aggressive in the summer of 2021. So the players, if that ends up happening with one or more of those guys, and I think it will, that does shift sentiments. You know, like in the Kawhi case, there was a little bit of reporting years later that he, it it created some distance. While it was justifiable and the Spurs made the right decision, that was what opened the door for LaMarcus Aldridge, 
you have to think about this also from the human perspective, which is these players take on a lot of risk for something that they don't benefit from very much, if at all. A hundred percent. I think that's probably where things get a little bit lost in the whether it's the fantasy basketballification or the 2Kification of kind of roster construction. And you know, we do a lot of thinking about these guys' skill sets and how they fit together and who would be the best complement for this particular guy. I mean, we were just kind of going through this with Jokic and Michael Porter Jr., for example. And it, it's very tempting to get sucked into that rabbit hole of just going deeper and deeper into looking at the mechanics of, of these lineups and how they work and, and you know what the optimized versions of them could be. But the reality is guys do not want to wait, generally speaking. They don't want to be told we're going to take care of you. They want to be taken care of. And it, it's, you know, there's a reason why this kind of thing doesn't happen too often in terms of, you know, extension, extension candidates who are very clearly, you know, max level players or superstar level prospects or you know, in that class where it's kind of a no questions asked, you're going to get your money situation. Those guys generally don't have to wait, even if their cap hold could give their team some kind of advantage in terms of bringing in another player, unless it's this like very explicitly negotiated behind closed doors situation. And it's just one of the big gulfs between this is what the team's cap sheet looks like and this is the, you know, this is the maximum window of cap room they could potentially have. And this is the tangible reality of this is a very important player of our team that we really, really do not want to piss off. And Donovan Mitchell, I think, is a great example of that, Like, especially if Jason Tatum gets paid. And for Mitchell, yeah, his cap hold, because he wasn't drafted nearly as high, it was 10 picks later than Tatum, 3-13. and 13. It could be enticing for Utah, especially, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about their offseason because of the unusual structure of it. And they could potentially have a ton of a ton of cap space in 2021, not that it's necessarily super valuable for the Jazz because they haven't been historically a free agent destination, but also cap space can be used in a lot of different ways. It could be to take on contracts. It could be to sign players eventually. There are all sorts of different things. And the reason why the Jazz, I'll talk about two teams, but I'll start with them, are so compelling to me is because they have all these decision points that are really lined up together. And so Donovan Mitchell is one of those. He's They're either going to pay him in October, let's say October of 2020, or they're going to pay him in July of 2021. That part of it we know, but which one of those happens matters a lot. And no team, incidentally, understands that better than Dennis Lindsay and the Jazz because Gordon Hayward's restricted free agency has to loom over their heads because they basically told Gordon Hayward, go out and get an offer. And instead of giving him a four-year deal or a five-year deal or a four-plus-one, he got a three-plus-one with that player option, opts out and goes to the Celtics. Jazz are left holding the bag. It ended up, you know, yes, you could say it worked out for them better than we could have anticipated. They got Donovan Mitchell. But remember, they'd already drafted Donovan Mitchell when Gordon Hayward left. They could have had both of them. Like it, w- it wasn't necessarily any sort of problem there. And they had moved up for that pick. And so for Utah, so they had that inflection point. But now Rudy Gobert is extension eligible this offseason. We know he will be eligible for the Supermax. He, that now giving him the full 35% is ludicrous. They shouldn't do it. I don't expect it will even be on the table. But remember, we get back to the human side. If they offer Gobert, let's say they offer him something on the traditional extension rules, which is a much more modest return or a shorter number of years, which you can't do with the Supermax. I wrote about that for The Athletic. 
then that's a challenge. But then also remember Mike Conley. Mike Conley has an early termination option. We expect him to play on that for next year. They could theoretically they could agree to do an extension with him. So like they could clear the decks. They could keep everything together or something in between. And I have no idea what they're going to pick. God, I can't even imagine the synchronicity if Donovan Mitchell ends up getting a similar kind of offer from the Jazz and leaves on a pretty similar timeline to what Hayward did. That would, you know, even for a franchise that's as impeccably run as the Jazz in a lot of ways, I think they, you know, they they scout and develop players very effectively. But oof, I, well, I really hope things don't go that way. And here, yet, here's you know, a big here's a big thing that I think a couple of teams need to be scared of, and I think Donovan Mitchell is a better example of this than Brandon Ingram, who will be restricted this summer as opposed to the next, which is. The question of a three plus one versus a five. Okay, so let's say it's a pure five-year deal. There are some players who would prefer the five-year deal. It's a ton of security. It is life-changing money. It is being a part of a team's plans for a half decade. And even if you're not a part of their plans, you're still getting paid. But then there's the group, and I and Tatum is another potential player here, where, yeah, sure, the three plus one means that you're going, especially if that means it's coming through an offer sheet from another team, the starting salary is identical, but you get smaller raises and it's for a shorter period of time, and maybe that changes some of the things in terms of the Supermax going forward, but... A, it's still a ton of money. Like that, the the way that the league has increased, you know, the revenues has made it so that the difference the difference between twenty five million and twenty million is very different than the difference between five million and ten million. As a practical consideration, when you're thinking about you know life generational wealth and everything else, so does Jason? Like we've seen the move towards agency, and what I mean by that is players exerting control over their future. Now we're starting to see the young guys get to there. So, like, I think Carl Anthony Towns regrets not getting a player option, not doing something shorter. Does that affect Jason Tatum? Does that affect Bam? Does that affect any of these players? Where getting to be a free agent a year or two earlier gives them so much more control over their future. I mean, that may be where franchise credibility comes into play. You know, it's one thing to look at your situation with the Minnesota Timberwolves, arguably the the least successful franchise in, in the NBA, if not professional sports, over the period of a couple decades now, versus the Celtics or the Heat. You know, franchises that have a little bit better of a track record, but more importantly, a certain kind of mystique. And, you know, I, th- I think, you know, that only gets you so far. You know, you know, Boston hasn't been an incredible free agent destination per se, but they've been able to attract and retain a certain kind of talent. They've been able to, you know, certainly refresh faster than most rosters have, you know, from kind of era to era to era here in the, over the last run. And in the Heat's case in Bam Adebayo, that's where you're, that's where Pat Riley's putting his rings on the table. You know, it, it, and we've already seen some initial reports about how the Heat are positioning themselves for 2021 as they should. You know, it's going to be an important summer across the league in terms of Giannis Antetokounmpo's free agency, among other things. They should want to be in that running, but you don't want to be in the running necessarily at the expense of someone like Bam, and you want to be very careful about how you negotiate and massage those things because, as we've seen and we've been talking about with situations like Hayward, they can get very sour very fast. But what I really enjoy about this shift in mentality, and we'll see if it affects the extension negotiations this year, is that it puts more onus on teams to be competitive. And and I, I did a collaborative thing with Eric Nem, who primarily focuses on the Bucks, during the hiatus about Giannis. And so I, I basically, through a conversation with him, and this is how it became a piece, basically said Giannis shouldn't sign the Supermax, not because the Bucks are terrible, but because no team is worth giving up that kind of control and, and, and risk mitigation because Giannis is unbelievable. And yes, Jason Tatum, 
John Mitchell aren't Giannis. Like they're, they're not likely two-time MVPs already at this point in their career. But the Celtics are a well-run organization. The Jazz have been a consistently well-run organization. But if the money is relatively close, wouldn't it, like I would rather bet. And again, it's not my money. I would rather bet on myself and the ability to control it and say, hey, in three years, if they're still awesome, I'll stay. You know what? I, I can do that instead of having to be there for five. And remember that when a player signs a five-year extension, they're they're getting that money, that's for sure. But they're committing to that team temporarily, but also to giving them control over their future. And it is v- much harder to maneuver on a on an ex- a long extension like that. Now, there are exceptions, like Anthony Davis, I think, did a little bit of that this past year. But it's, it's difficult, and you have to be at a certain level. And that very well could have not worked out for Anthony Davis in the way that it hasn't for everybody else. I mean, Kawhi Leonard... I mean, you could say it worked out for him because he got a ring, but he didn't get to a, an endgame destination for him because he ended up leaving there anyway. And so I am interested in how these young players, and remember, they're also probably interacting with veterans like LeBron James and Kevin Durant, who who know the benefit of staying flexible. And will will we start to see a fundamental change in the way these negotiations go? It'd be really interesting if things took that turn. I mean, I know... In talking to fans and talking to other media members and talking to some people with teams, you hear a lot about, you know, why doesn't this player value X, whether it's organizational stability, whether it's what their general manager was able to do at the trade deadline, whether it's, you know, the coach that consistently, you know, coaches their team to five wins over what you would expect. I mean, the easy answer is that everybody values something different. But moreover, I think if you're a player, you have to know and your agent is undoubtedly telling you that you can't be loyal to structures that aren't loyal to you. And however you may feel about whatever competitive advantages this franchise has that's trying to sign you, they could trade you in six months, and you're not going to reap any of those advantages anymore. So that's why I can never blame guys for betting on themselves, for going, you know, really banking on that kind of agency. Because as you mentioned, once you hit you, there's a certain threshold of life-changing money. There's a certain threshold where you're really setting yourself and future generations of your family up to to be successful for a very long time once you're kind of meeting that criteria then you have a lot of wiggle room in terms of how you want to navigate your career there's ways in which you could completely max out the money side with endorsements with longer term contracts or maybe it's shorter term contracts kind of timing out for certain thresholds where you can then hit the next you know maximum criteria bracket it's you know guys are, are, are able to navigate those things at their own speed and to their own preferences but i think fundamentally we are seeing that shift that you're talking about towards agency towards guys betting on themselves a little bit more and under understandably not putting quite as much faith in these franchises to always do right by them and the ancillary to that the the corollary actually is probably a better way to say it is some of these teams that are in the circumstance and i brought up the jazz before now i'm going to turn to the other one of those which is the indiana pacers which is that when you have a star when oladipo is in a somewhat different situation because we don't know exactly what he is and what he'll be but he is going to be barring an extension and, it, and his extension negotiations are almost comically difficult because we just don't know exactly what kind of player he's going to be. Indiana has a big risk assessment to do, and that is, can we afford to lose him for nothing as an unrestricted free agent? And it's a different situation than the Bucks with Giannis or the Thunder with KD. Also, the KD thing was in a broken extension system. They, they was, it was, he was never going to sign an extension. But so with Oladipo... Indiana, part of it is information gathering, talking to him, saying, hey, what are you thinking? And neither side is under any obligation to tell the truth, but there is a benefit to kind of to both sides of being honest. And so from Indiana's perspective, they've had what I would argue is a successful 
a successful season, but not a perfect one. They haven't had everybody back. But Kevin Pritchard would love to see this team run run it back next year. But is he willing to do so with one of the linchpins of that being an unrestricted free agent who has never chosen to be there? Other than, I guess you could say, when he committed to Indiana University, which is somewhat different. <laughs> yeah, I mean— not only are they going to have to kind of go through that process and make those decisions, I mean, they're living it. And and you could see it kind of in this weird saga that played out in terms of Oladipo's health and availability for these games. I mean, my operating principles, whenever something kind of strange and inexplicable happens in the NBA and you start looking around trying to piece together, or, you know, texting people and calling people and trying to figure out, like, why – why would this be happening? And this isn't based on intel from the Pacers specifically, just kind of gen- more generally around weird situations in the NBA that I l- tend to look first for sensitivities. Like there's there's somebody's somebody's buttons are being pushed here or being danced around here where a team is being very careful about what they say about a player who's going to be a free agent or a star on their team who's, you know, maybe a little bit sensitive to the way you praise the other star on his team or the coach or the, you know, who gets credit for what. So, you know, these are these are it's a house of cards in which every card has its own ego and these egos yeah. are super inflated by the sport. They've been blown up since the time that these guys were teenagers. And then the coaches and the general managers and everyone on staff, the, you know, the CFO, everyone in the organization has some degree of ego to reach these levels that they've reached. And then you're trying to make all these pieces fit together in an ever-changing league against other elite competition. It's, it's I mean, I, I'm not envious of anyone who's trying to put together an NBA franchise. But in situations like Oladipo's, which again, like just personally speaking, as someone who's been watching the Pacers a lot this year, I did a big story on them earlier in the season, just trying to figure out how their franchise worked and you know how they've been able to be pretty successful for a very long period of time in terms of making the playoffs year after year after year. It's tr- it struck me as very odd the way that that Oladipo situation played out because there was there was a lot of power being given to Victor in that case to to you know make his own message in terms of whether he wanted to be available or not to decide on game days leading up to game days out of the scrimmages and into the seating games whether he was comfortable being available or not and you know looped up in that is all this kind of weird red tape around who is getting paid in the bubble and who is not and if you, if you have an injury are you excused but paid if you don't have an injury but choose to sit out are you still going to get your salary so there's there's all this fascinating stuff going on around Oladipo and the Pacers and you would be crazy if you didn't think that everyone in that organization is acutely aware of Miami lurking on the sidelines and you know them as a potential landing spot for Oladipo and all these other teams that could potentially get into that lottery because you know he means a lot to that organization in a lot of ways I think you know health aside they're very invested in him as a player and as a person they want to see him you know you know recuperate and recover and get back to his previous level but there's a lot to think about another important dynamic in the 2021 offseason that I've become more interested in over the last little bit is so there's justifiably a lot of attention paid to the top end of that class because it's it's absolutely loaded I mean Kawhi Paul George could be a part of it. We, I, I mean, we could go. You could go throughout the league. Lots of Giannis is the headliner. I mean, he's the two-time MVP. Could potentially be three time in a row at that juncture, unrestricted free agent. But I think there is a credible argument, if not a, like the definitive one, for all of those players to go back to their current teams. That group could also theoretically include Anthony Davis if he takes a one plus one. Any number of things. And so then, what could potentially happen is you have all these teams that are clearing, that are keeping their books clear, and they're different motivations. Some teams will do it on the auspices of 
being being able to get star free agents, but actually doing it to save money because that's a very real concern right now. And for some teams, it was pre-COVID, obviously the same concern. But what I became interested in was that second tier. So the definitely good players, maybe you could even call them stars, but not best player on a championship team. And that group includes Oladipo if he's healthy. That group includes Drew Holiday. And it's actually a pretty good, talented group. And those are the teams that I think should be really scared because if there are, let's call it 10 to 15 suitors that struck out on all the top guys and are just like, hey, we'll pay you instead. Yeah, I mean, it's always funny once you get past that initial wave and you see the spending sprees and you see the consolation prizes who are getting just drastically and dramatically overpaid relative to their production or their age or what have you. There's... There's a lot of candidates for that in that class, and some of it is the some of it includes the guys you mentioned, and some of it includes you know a guy like Chris Paul comes to mind, who you know we really don't know what's going to happen to him over this summer. You know the Thunder are, are at a pivot point in their franchise. I think there's been talk all season about relocating him for a reason, not coming out of the Thunder per se, but just in the general rumor mill. And what they do with him this off season, where he could be you know in in another couple years when he hits free agency again. Those are the kinds of guys that that always pique my curiosity in that regard. You know, the established names, great track record in terms of all NBA and all star appearances. Like, I mean, we're talking we're talking about one of the great players in NBA history. It's very easy to talk your franchise into, okay, we missed out on our guy. Let's go get CP or let's go get Drew or let's go get Oladipo. Like you were saying, there's there's a lot of competition in that class among the second or third tier guys to get that next bag. You know, it's really a next bag up mentality. It is a next bag up mentality, but I'm also in that class and a couple other ones fascinated by how players could potentially use agency outside of maximizing finances. Now, Chris Paul, if he's still in heavily involved in the Players Association, it would be a little bit different for him to take a significant pay cut. Like, let's say he opts out and just takes a lot less to go somewhere that he would really enjoy. Maybe he plays with LeBron James. Entirely possible. That would be challenging if he still has the same role with the PA because they're you know they're kind of looking out for everybody else and everything else and you don't want to necessarily get into that circumstance but he has earned the right to do whatever he wants and i wonder if the other part of agency and we saw this a little bit with kevin durant you know he took less money and part of that was to have better teammates and i think that was you know important because that allowed them a little bit more flexibility with livingston and and you know helped them win a title that second year and i i think that some players, you know, the bag securing will be very much the case for probably Drew Holiday and Oladipo and a lot of those guys. But then you also get into the older guys, and LeBron could end up being here. I mean, I have this pet theory that LeBron is going to time his free agency with whenever Bronny can be in the draft, and he'll just say, I'm going to sign wherever whoever drafts my kid. And can you imagine, like, that's allowed. There's no, Nobody <laughs> can stop him from doing that. Like, that would be maybe the most interesting way of using a player using their power that we've ever seen. Oh, it would be incredible. But I mean, in all this free agent talk, I mean, part of what I keep coming back to is just how little we can anticipate in terms of where these teams are going to be then. I mean, just thinking of how dramatically things have shifted in the last calendar year, you know, take take away the actual outside world, but just think about these teams and where they are. And we were talking about the Raptors earlier and and OG Ananobi and kind of where their roster is going to move. I mean, you could sell me on any conceivable direction for the Raptors that, you know, at the start of next season, they could look dramatically different, much less in two. And and all of a sudden we're talking about a a major market that's really attractive that could have some of these pieces that are on the roster, but maybe some of them move on or traded away or, you know, used to subsidize some draft picks or whatever it is. 
like the unpredictability of of forecasting even just an extra season out is is so daunting like i mean it really does give you an appreciation for the work that some of these franchises have to do like we've been talking about you know not only thinking thinking about you know the pieces on their team and making sure this guy fits with that guy and these players get along with this new player we're bringing in but all of a sudden you have to you know really game theory game theorize out the actions of every other team in the league, of every major free agent on the market, and all of a sudden just kind of hope that Giannis looks your way in 2021. And on top of all of that, there is the most complicated layer is that these are all individual people with individual preferences, which may or may not be known. And the relationships, I mean, you could go back through various parts of NBA history that relationships have shaped teams being formed, you know, like Bosch and and LeBron and Dwayne Wade and how their friendship helped shift NBA history and Durant and Curry and, and that potentially, you know, that working for a couple of years and you you can't necessarily predict that. Sometimes not everybody knows that. I mean, it, it can be a real surprise. And even if sometimes there are tea leaves, the tea leaves can go in a different direction. And the idea, like, I think of Paul Millsap for this. I remember I was talking with Kale Chenard on Real Gym Radio, and when he mentioned to me that Paul Millsap had spent a lot of his time growing up in Denver, and I just went, oh, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. And then he ended up going there. And it can be something like that. It can be a connection with a team, a, a, a future teammate. It could be, I really like their weather, or like I went to a birthday party there and it was super fun. I want to live there. It can be all sorts of different things. And th- that's also why the lines of communication for pending unrestricted free agents are so important. Because let's say Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, he might not even necessarily know right now what he wants, and he can convey that to the Pelicans, to David Griffin. But if he is thinking, hey, you know, we're a little bit away. I only have, you know, maybe a couple of years left where I'm a really good player. I want the opportunity to be on a championship level team. He's never had that in his career. It's been very star-crossed from that respect. I mean, they did. He was huge in that sweep that they had over the Blazers, but then they got summarily dumped by the Warriors. And if Drew Holiday wants that, and he thinks that it's not New Orleans, and maybe it's a personnel evaluation thing. I mean, we've seen that players can be very bad general managers while they're players. But it can be anything. It could be that they that that's what he wants, and maybe it ends up perfectly for New Orleans. Maybe it's the same with Giannis. Maybe he's like, hey, I want to win as many championships as I can. I think this is the best place. I think if I went somewhere else, we'd be worse. Sure. If it ends up being something else, then it's something else. And that has to be so infuriating because it – it means that there's an element, I mean, you going back to like the 2K or the like team building real GM is another great side for this, is that the best laid plans can sometimes go up in flames and sometimes terrible plans end up working out. Well, I think the thing that exasperates people who work in that industry, who are really in the business of putting these teams together, is that guys sometimes don't have a feel for what they want. Yeah. And they will, exp- they will express one thing in a moment, uh, often a moment of frustration or because they saw that you know, a guy who they think they're better than or their peer across the league got such and such or was moved in this way or rewarded in that way. And they think they want that thing and the team will move heaven and earth to get it, to make that possible. They'll, you know, clear the finances. They'll make the trade that the player wanted. And it turns out they didn't actually want that thing that much. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a frustrating business in that way. And it's, it's unforgiving in the sense that your best players could get injured at any time. If you're a a general manager or a coach, you could essentially be fired at any time, whether you deserve it or not, or whether it's just kind of your turn to take the blame. And yet you try to put all of, you know, all of these dominoes and you set them up just so in the hopes that they can knock down and lead to a championship, which always requires a lot of luck to get in the first place. And just even the proposition of doing that is subject to the very naturally and understandable changing whims 
of these human beings. I mean, when we think about what we want out of our own lives, I mean, even if you're the most type A kind of list making person, you know, you set out with your New Year's resolutions every year, your resolution for how you want your year to go could change by March or April. And luckily, there's there aren't, you know, millionaires and billionaires in this giant apparatus, this this corporation around you trying to make those things possible in real time only for you to change your mind. It's up to you to kind of go out and make that happen for yourself. But whenever you're kind of catering to these specific wishes for individuals, it's kind of a wonder that anything gets done at all. And it really highlights some of the serendipity that has to happen for something like, say, for example, the Clippers to all of a sudden land Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Right. And I was thinking about that yesterday. Uh, Kevin Pelton was taught what talked about the idea of like how how differently it would look if the Clippers had drafted Michael Porter Jr. instead of Jerome Robinson. And the point I made was, well, then Michael Porter Jr. would be on the Oklahoma City Thunder, which would be exciting for its own reason. But it, it can also be those sorts of things. Like, I mean, it can be or, you know, a player, Harrison Barnes reportedly turned down an extension from the Warriors that would have made the Kevin Durant thing much more difficult. Like, there are all sorts of different things, elements of this that are in play. And some, I'm sure, get frustrated by that. Me, I get invigorated by it because that's what makes this exciting and different and why as mu- the the beauty of sports to me, and this is both on, on the court and off the court, is that the, as much as you know, you can never know for sure. And the people who do know for sure don't really tell anybody. So it's it's a lot of fun. And so we can think about it and speculate and sympathize, but there's still a lot that we're just going to have to fly by the seat of our pants and find out. And honestly, it's often the same for general managers, coaches, and players alike. It is. And I think, you know, especially for those of us on the outside who our job is just kind of keeping up with this, or maybe it's just your hobby that you like following the NBA, that's where this stuff is really fun. And it's the unpredictability of it. You know, we have access to, just as consumers, more content than ever. It's, it's really kind of paralyzing the amount of things we have at our fingertips that it's hard to be genuinely surprised by things, to find things that tap into a side of our brain we didn't know existed that are very creative in that way. And yet we have this soap opera around the league that is just constantly revolving and changing the rules in terms of how players are allowed to move around, shift from you know from CBA to CBA, the ways in which teams are looking to prioritize their own rosters are constantly evolving. And as we were talking about, these players just want different things all the time. And when you compound all those things, you get stuff that's just completely unexpected that blows up teams in ways, you know, at at times that you may have expected them to kind of move forward into the next stage of their development. And all of a sudden they're selling things off for parts. It, it, It really does keep us on our toes in that way. I mean, that's what's that's why the NBA is is the best sport there is, is not only do you have this very captivating and charismatic on court product. I mean, there's there's really no better sport than basketball. But you have the theater that surrounds it, the palace intrigue, where we're trying to understand and get into the brains of all these different people who want very different things from us and from each other. Uh, it, it's, you know, at least in reporting this stuff and trying to write stories about those kinds of people, there's always an exercise in empathy involved in that, even if it's trying to empathize with, you know, a billionaire who has never been told no in his entire life. It's a great point, and I think what is goes on top of it, and it's, it kind of goes without saying, but I think I want to say it as well, is the structure of basketball where star players really matter. Now, it, it, there's a difference between how a, you know, like adding LeBron James to your team does something fundamentally different than Mike Trout. And Mike Trout, wonderful baseball player. I don't watch a ton of baseball anymore. I know he's really good. I, I, I see him play periodically. But when you add LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard or any number, it changes the way your team plays every second. It's not a player who hits once every nine times and a ball, and ball gets hit to him, let's say, three times a game. It's every possession, offensively, defensively, and there are ripple effects throughout the organization, throughout the roster. 
and it is it and we care about these things because they matter within this context i'm not going to say they matter in the global world of we're get we're all getting a, a reminder of what what things matter to us and and don't but i i think that it basketball strikes that balance in a way that i don't think any other sport does of being catered to stars because it should be yeah i mean i for all the hand wringing that happened around whether you want to look at the decision, whether you want to look at Kevin Durant's choice to come to Golden State, the power center of the NBA, I think, is is pretty well placed in that regard. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, coaches and general managers, like there are people who have a lot of power within their own teams um, in, in terms of the ability to shape rosters and dictate minutes and things like that. But there's really no question, you know, how if you're if you're isolating the most important presence and most important contributions to a team winning or losing. I mean, maybe you could talk about ownership in that category just because they have their fingers on so much, or at least can if they, they choose to. But there really is no replacement for a star player and, and no way to kind of dance around the level of authority that should come with that. I feel like we could talk about this for a long time, but instead I'll say, okay, we were a week into the bubble. Is there anything else that we haven't discussed that you think is, is definitely worth talking about before we leave? I mean, I do think we'd be remiss not to at least pour one out a little bit for the Memphis Grizzlies who, you know, regardless of how many games they win the rest of the way, won't have an honest chance to kind of defend their seat in terms of the eighth seed without Jaron Jackson Jr., who, I mean, it's just a sensational basketball player and, and a guy who has so much to learn is so clearly an unfinished product, you know, like you just want to see him keep his feet on some plays and, and, you know, really plug in offensively at times where he may drift out of focus. But then you see him, you know, running curls like he's Clay Thompson and, and you see him, you know, just that hit, shot on Rudy Gay at the end of the, that t- that tied the San Antonio game was ludicrous. Unbelievable. Especially, I mean, when you think about, you know, Ru- Rudy Gay has turned into like either a punchline or kind of a forgotten man, depending on who you ask over the last, you know, five, 10 years of basketball but is a really talented player who's done very well for the Spurs and most importantly and relevant in this case is long as hell. I mean, there really aren't that many players in the league today. If Rudy Gay is fully extended, standing right in front of them in the corner on a catch and shoot, are even going to be able to clear him, you know, in any kind of realistic way? And Jaron Jackson's just nailing that shot really casually, like it's no big deal in a game that his team absolutely has to win. And, you know, the Grizzlies, can, you know, I'm sure, sure they'll still be feisty in games. I'm sure they'll still be competitive. John Morant is still John Morant, one of the, you know, the greatest shows on earth. But the, just the fact that they won't really get a chance to, you know, defend their defend themselves in a potential play in against whether it's the Blazers or the Spurs or the Suns or whoever ends up in that spot it is kind of a bummer to me. Yeah, and I'll add one more there, which is Jonathan Isaac. And I thought about bringing him up. I did that whole little riff on the 2017 draft and and extensions. And I didn't bring him up because I didn't want to get that depressed. And Isaac has, when he's been healthy, he's been so fun to watch as a defensive player and he fits in with what Orlando is doing. And not only is he, I mean, I think I now think of an ACL tear as being kind of a, a, a 12 month injury plus a four month injury where you have the 12 months, which is like you straight up can't play, but then you have four to six to eight where you're not quite right yet. And when you think about that from Isaac's perspective, it's his whole fourth his whole fourth year he'll be extent he'll be extension eligible and it seems almost it seems almost impossible to get a deal done just because where would the two sides be but then restricted for agency and everything else and think about the situation it puts the magic in where they had hoped you know they they made the playoffs last year they're going to make it again this year but not in exactly the most inspiring fashion and they already kind of know that next year is going to be completely changed and does that shift 
the way their front office approaches this offseason. I, I think it might, but I'm not 100% sure. And so they have, you know, Evan Forney is probably going to be a free agent this summer. Markel Fultz is going to be extension eligible. But now next season is going to be a holding pattern in some ways similar to what the Indiana Pacers dealt with this year. When he could have been a guy, too, in the vein of that Michael Porter Jr. conversation, who really looked incredible in the bubble, potentially, who really showed out, who showed, you know, coming back off this injury, what he was capable to do, recontextualizing what the magic could look like and how they could play and how they could think about the future of their team. And, you know, all this kind of floats into itself in terms of this conversation, because if you're talking about the dizzying complexity of putting together a roster and making sure that all these factors align on your way to being a contender, and then all of a sudden this guy who, as you mentioned, this is not necessarily just a season-long injury, but a season-long injury that has implications beyond that for a franchise that has been kind of perennially trying to get its shit together already. And you get this one more break on top of everything else that either has gone right or wrong or kind of in between or has been complicated by all these other factors. And then for a guy like Isaac personally, who is just such a fun player to watch, and it it it's difficult in these circumstances because the bubble basketball has been so fun because teams are playing at such a high level, and then you get these little blips of stories even already. And, and I mean, let's remind everyone too that we're just we're just kind of getting started in all this. There undoubtedly will be further injuries over the course of this that kind of take the air out of the thing. But Isaac's is definitely one of the first ones right out of the right out of the gate that you know I would really have loved to see that guy play basketball a little more this summer. Absolutely. And unfortunately, they are a part of a part of the league. And if we could turn the injury slider off, we would, but we can't. And we appreciate what we have when we have it. And thank you so much for taking time. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Danny. Thanks again to Rob Mahoney for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent written work at The Ringer, and you can follow him on Twitter at Rob Mahoney, R-O-B-M-A-H-O-N-E-Y. Love having him on, and we had very little framework for this conversation. I just had a confidence that it would that it would flow and it would go in interesting places, and it absolutely did, and I love having Rob on for that exact reason. And getting into some of the less prominent stories by, that I think are actually more important from the first week, near and dear to my heart, especially with the league past broadcast that Nate and I have been doing. And if you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. Subscribing and downloading is a fantastic thing, whether you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any any other place that you can get your podcast. Subscribing makes a huge difference with Real GM Radio because it will never come out a specific day of the week. You can't get into a habit with it. So subscribing solves that. Also, word of mouth, single episode or the whole series. If you think somebody else would like it, tell them. And that's how a lot of my friends and I have found podcast is just by other people telling us about it. And leaving a rating, leaving a review is another way to help other people find the show. Yes, this one has been around for a while, but there are still people finding it. It helps with rankings and all that fun stuff, so you can do that. But the single most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. Bet online. Use that Podcast One promo code for your sign-up bonus. They have a lot going on right now and more sports, thankfully, so that's really exciting. And then on my end, there are a a lot of other things going on. Most prominent in my mind right now is the League Pass broadcast that Nate Duncan and I are doing. We are basically alternate announcers for a League Pass game. It is called the Influencer Stream. Sometimes it's labeled as Alt, and we are doing a bunch of games. We actually have three more announced. You can check Nate's Twitter and mine for the upcoming schedule. We have already done, I believe it is five, and we're going to be doing at least three more. It is so much fun to be able to provide commentary for a game that is you can see on the screen. We've been doing the NBA cast for years now, but we've always had the hurdle of 
syncing up and everything else. And so this alleviates that, and it has been a lot of fun. There was a challenge today on Friday with I had an internet issue, but normally speaking, it has been just an absolute pleasure and to have people helping produce and it's been it's been great. And you can use the hashtag NBA cast, even if you're not watching, honestly, and you can ask us questions and we will answer them on the air during the stoppages. And if it goes well, not only is it my hope that it could lead to opportunities for Nate and I, but I think more importantly, it, it broadens the amount of potential voices. And I'm so encouraged by this initiative by the NBA because there are a lot of different types of people within the basketball world that have been able to use the influencer streams and be able to get their voices out there. And that can be people who aren't with main established outlets. It can be women. It can be people of color. It can be anything, a, a widening, a democratizing of voices that everyone can hear, I think really does benefit everyone. And I'm extremely excited to be a part of it. And it's why I've put more pressure on myself to do a good job of that. Also written work, of course, at The Athletic. Dunked On is still going strong. We're five days a week now on top of everything else and will continue to be for the duration. If you have any feedback on my work, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to make sure that I see it. Twitter is too ephemeral, but if you send an email to me, it goes to a special place in my inbox and I promise I will read it. I'll try to respond. I really do my best, but that doesn't always happen. So, but if, but I will read it because there's a separate place. I make sure that I go through that every single day. And that is definitely enough for now. Thanks again to Rob for taking the time. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.